Welcome back to Open House with Mark Sewick and Corey James Moran, brought to you by the Mark Sewick team at Keller Williams, a Greater Rochester Real Estate Podcast. This is episode number nine, Investing in Rental Properties. Hi, Mark. How are you today? I am good, Corey. How are you doing, bud? Doing absolutely fantastic. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us, no matter how you may be listening. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Helps the podcast grow. Tell your friends about it as well. If you missed that on last week's episode, we talked about off-market deals, which I wish I had more of, but we're working on it as best we can. Uh, also, need to get the international takeover update. We have added another country to our list of listeners. This is... It's shocking. Yeah. <laughs> See, it was funny. The first one, you're like, okay, I think I know someone vacationing there. Yes. And now everything since, we have absolutely no idea. So uh, Saudi Arabia has been added to our list. That, what What is going on? I, I don't know. The internet? I mean, yes, we're charming. We're, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, uh, Mark, in Saudi Arabia, they're very interested in Rochester real estate. Uh, well, clearly. And, um, and you know, your name, they see your name attached to this, and they, they've got to tune in. It's, yes, it's got to be. Absolutely. Uh, so, again, I, I have righted the wrong of not knowing enough about Denmark. Uh, I'm coming prepared every week now. Whenever we add a country, I'm going to bust out some fun facts about that country. That's great. Okay. Uh, did you know, Mark? That Saudi Arabia is the largest country in the world without a natural river. That, that would make sense. I did not know that, but mm-hmm. it would make With sense. The, the desert. I, yeah. the, I, sure. I, I yeah. think there's a little bit of sand there. Uh, so most of the fresh water comes from uh, plants or underground wa- reservoirs. But this is also interesting. On the other side of that coin, Saudi Arabia is also home to the world's tallest water fountain. Oh, real? okay. For, I, I, uh, the Burj Khalifa or something? Sure. Oh, wait, yeah. wait, actually, no, that's not in Saudi Arabia. Well... Now, now I'm well. Yeah, just Look, yeah, you yeah, stepped yeah, in it. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was <laughs> sounding so erudite for a moment. But there, you know, there we have it. So uh, interesting dynamic at play with uh, no natural rivers, but the tallest water fountain. Well, uh, so Get one more reason to fly to Saudi Arabia. There you go. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so before we move on, and to... they and they just just for clarification, mm. they do not wear. Wooden shoes. No wooden shoes still, yeah. Okay. No, okay. no, again. See, yeah. he's got to... No, no. you got to twist the knife. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. got to <laughs> twist the knife a little bit. Uh, so before we get to our main topic for today, which I think a lot of people are going to be interested about uh, when it comes to investing in rental properties, especially when you look at retirement and how things have changed, um, I do want to get a market update. So as of the time of this recording, there are currently 466 active listings mm-hmm. here in Monroe County. Uh, as far as the six-county region, 856 active listings. So, again, kind of where we've been before. It's, it's, a, it's a desert. Yeah. It's really what it is. Yeah. And, it, and, you know, one of the things that we seem to notice is that that buyers, we talked about this a little bit last week, that it, it seems like buyers are starting to kind of maybe scale back a little bit. Maybe it's a little bit of buyer fatigue in play. Uh, again, we talked about this last week. Maybe it is the fact that their social calendars are filling up. And when it comes down to it, it's a big time investment to, to look for a house. It is a big time investment. And like so many others, I, I'm out and I'm enjoying the sun. I'm enjoying my, uh, my time down in the Finger Lakes, uh, reconnecting with a lot of friends. And, and people are indeed exhausted by all of this. So I'm not surprised that this is playing out. As I said last week, I think that it may be a little bit of a slower summer. But as we discussed last week, increasingly, I'm thinking that buyers are going to be back at it come September. Come uh, Labor Day, they'll be at it full, full force. Yeah, which is kind of a crazy thought. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, right now, as, as we mentioned, it's slowing down, but it's still, it, from my standpoint, it seems a little spotty. 
Um, there, there do seem to be some properties that are maybe having less offers than, you know, for a while there, it was like everything was getting 10 right. plus, right? If you, if you own a house in the suburbs, under $350,000, it's in good condition, yep. you're still minting cash. Yep. No two ways about it. So, uh, but, but as you're suggesting, it is, it's, it's a bit spotty um, elsewhere. So a little more hope if you are a buyer who is sticking it out, uh, right. you, will, you will benefit from, from that. Right. Hopefully. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, let's get to our main topic for today. And again, as I just mentioned, this is going to be very interesting for a lot of people because I think now more than ever, there's going to be interest in, in this is how people are going to save for retirement because of the fact that the pensions from back in the day are no longer a thing. People don't stay with companies long enough. Companies don't offer them. Um, so to be able to have enough money to retire, you're going to need to turn to other things. Um, you could invest in Beanie Babies, I guess, if you still have that plan. E uh, if you're Elon Musk, you could invest in Bitcoin. Bitcoin, sure. There's, yes, there's yeah, that. Dogecoin. There's, yeah. Um, you know, a shocking amount of people's retirement plan is to win the lottery, which I would highly not recommend that. Yeah. Isn't that terrifying? It, it, it is terrifying. Yeah. Um, but how about investing in real estate? So, Mark, this is something that you are an expert in. Um, because you have been doing this for the majority of your adult life. Right, right. I bought my first rental property probably at the age of 24. Yeah, 24. Mm -hmm. Pretty young. Yeah. And, and this is a dream for a lot of people. I know even my wife and I have had discussions of, well, wouldn't it be nice to have, you know, just a couple of rental properties. You get some passive income from that. And then if you need a bigger chunk of change, then you end up and, and spin those off and sell them. Um, and boom. Or, or, or refi them. Or refi them. Yes. Yeah. Um, so boom, there you have it. There's some of your retirement right there, you know, waiting for you. So again, this is something that a lot of people have thought about, but I think it's probably, you can file this under starting a restaurant, starting a bar. It seems like a great idea, <laughs> but you, you realize quickly the amount of work that goes into it. It, it, it is not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. Did, were, were you around, were, were you, were you cognizant of this guy, late night television, three in the morning, he had a ponytail and he would tell you how overnight you could buy 30 rental properties. Haven't seen this one. This was a thing. And for those who are older than Corey and you know, probably my generation, you probably remember this guy and he made it sound so simple, but the reality is it is difficult uh, and my first, wait, do you know about my first rental property? Let's talk about it now. Yeah, you, I think you may have briefly mentioned it. Let's dive on in to get a little backstory okay, so, here. So, so my first rental property, I was 25 years old. And I, a, a friend, uh, an acquaintance said to me, I understand that you want to be a landlord. Yeah, and indeed I do. I want to be a landlord. So he tells me that he's got a property that he's going to sell to me for $42,000 and he's going to finance it. Okay. So I buy this, all sorts of things. I buy this place for $42,000 and he finances it. He holds the mortgage at 13% interest. Wow. Telling me, <laughs> telling me that six months later, three months later, I can just go ahead and refi. Well, what I very quickly learn is that you can't refi a property that is, you can't, I was looking for financing uh, of the property 200% more than the actual reality. I sold that property 15 years after I bought it for $17,000. Oh my God. The very first 24 hours that I owned this property, I get a call from my dear friend, Sue. And Sue said to me, Mark, didn't you say that you purchased a property? Yeah, indeed I did. She, didn't you say that it was on Brock Street? I said, as, as a matter of fact, and I'm very, very proud. She, did you see this morning's paper? I said, oh, no. 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 Uh, she said, well, you might want to read this morning's paper. My downstairs tenant had taken a steak knife and embedded it in the chest of his best friend oh. on the front lawn of this property that I had My owned for. And I'm God. like 24 years old, 25 years old. Yeah. It was, it was terrible. So 
baptism by fire. Uh, apparently, yeah. How are you not traumatized by that? It's what it's like anything. You either succumb to yeah. or you pick yourself up, dust yourself off. All right, so what did I learn from that? I guess there's a mentality of um, it can't get worse, right? It really can't get much worse Yeah, than that's, that. I guess it's get that, got this out of the way. Oh right. My goodness, wow. Okay. So, so, so I, I learned a lot. I didn't. I never got an MBA. I, you know, I've always thought about getting an MBA, but I never got an MBA. Instead, I've just read a lot and I've learned through my experience. And so I, I've, I've, I, I've gotten a great education these past thirty some years. Can you think back to when that idea popped in your head? Why you thought this is something I want to do? Because again, at that age, I mean, you were young. I don't know why, but I've, I always wanted to own rental property. I always wanted to create wealth for myself, and I just love the whole notion, the whole idea of creating a portfolio. I, I don't know where it came from, but I do know that it was that I was at least in my teens. Really? Wow. Okay. So yeah. it was more of a kind of like a pull. Like we, I think we all have these things in our life right. where we just for whatever reason we feel drawn to this particular thing. You, 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 you were drawn. I think you were drawn to radio. Yeah. And I think that you were drawn to real estate. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Uh, and so both are, are, are both have proven to be very, very good industries for you to to, to work in. So got to follow those instincts. Okay. Yes. So uh, so starting young obviously would be the best thing you can do for anyone listening who's in their forties or fifties at this point. They're going crap. Well, that's off the table. Uh, but starting at all is what needs to happen, right? For for those that are that are trying to get their foot in the door, you know, what is what is your piece of advice to them? Bye. Just do it. Just do it. Even if, and I know this is so contrarian, and I'm sure that financial planners who might be listening, Chuck Wade, your buddy Chuck Wade, <laughs> yes. I'm sure that he's going to roll his eyes when I say <laughs> the following, but even if you have to over, it, now, do not overpay for a primary residence. You do not want to overpay for that. However, um, an investment, unlike the stock market, you overpay, you know, you could be really hurt. One of the things that I love about real estate is that I don't purposely go out to try to overpay, but even if I have to overpay in the moment, 15 years from now, if I've, if I've secured this property with a 15-year with a mortgage, 15 years from now, my tenants have paid me hundreds of thousands sure, of yeah. dollars, and I've paid it off. So I overpaid by $25,000 in the year 1990. Right. By the year 2010, the property's paid off. And so, so what, what does it matter that I've overpaid by $25,000? Right. And again, I realize that that's very contrary and you probably don't want to do that. But in this market, in this environment, with so few rental properties available for sale, you're probably going to overpay. Um, do, do it as quickly as you can, um, as young as you can, and buy as much as you can. So what sort of opportunities do you look for when you're looking for a rental property, especially when you begin? Because obviously you get to a point where you have enough of them where it's going to be a different kind of level to the game. But again, I think the people listening to this most likely are just interested in, in getting to know a little more of those first kind of steps. I, I think the first and the most important step is by the neighborhood. It's... You can always change a property. You can always change a property. You can always improve a property. You can always make it, but you don't have the ability to change a neighborhood. So buy the worst property in the best neighborhood that you possibly can. And don't buy too large. You don't want to buy a four family or a six family. Start with a two family. Uh, put your toe in the water and see whether or not you like it. Uh, but also you need to realize that this is a very, very slow process. If you think that you're going to jump in, buy a rental property and sell it five years later, five years is really where you're just starting to recoup your initial your, your initial costs. So you need to think of this like you would a 401k, for example, where it's something that you're not touching for years. 
years and years and years. And that is the back to the notion that you want to do this as quickly and as early in life as you possibly can. It's the whole issue, the whole notion of compounding interest. So you talked in a previous episode about investing in your IRA as early in life as you possibly can because of the notion of compound interest. And the exact same thing plays out recently. Another lesson, very much like an IRA, you don't take money out of your IRA. I own a lot of rental property at this point in time. I've never, I'm 56 years old right now, I've never taken a penny out. I just continue to pour money in and pour money in uh, knowing that I've got a great tax write-off at the end of the year, sure, yeah. but also knowing that I'm I'm creating my retirement. I don't want to I don't want to tap into or dip into my retirement at too early an age. So I I was researching this to talk about it on the podcast today, and I was uh, reading up a little bit, and I read the story of this woman who actually bought her first rental property in college. So she was good for her early twenties. Yeah, and what she did was she had a four bedroom house that she bought in the college town she lived in. And she lived in one room, and then she rented out the other rooms to other students. How about that as a as a strategy that, that, to get that's, in? That's exactly how I started out. Okay, yeah. Uh, the, the difficulty in replicating her strategy is that you probably have to have some startup cash, right? Yeah. Mom and dad are <laughs> right. probably involved. So, so if you've got a mom and dad who's able to help you out, then that's just a great strategy, and that really is a, a terrific way of, of starting out. But when I first started, I would I bought, my first house was a two-family. I lived in 750 square feet on the first floor, and I had a four-bedroom apartment on the second floor. I bought it for forty. $5,000, something like that. I was collecting $1,200 a month rent back in the early 90s. And living for free, that additional cash, it just kept pouring into the property and pouring into it. And a few years later, I bought a second. And I remained in that 750-square-foot apartment. And then I bought a third, a fourth. I think I had owned six or seven properties before I moved out of that 750-square-foot apartment into what was probably a 1,400-square-foot apartment. So what we're learning, I, I think, just already through this is the amount of patience that is involved. Patience, um, patience tenacity. Yeah. You know, you just mentioned not touching any of the money yet because you know it's going to be for a retirement situation. Uh, you just mentioned how you didn't move out to a bigger place uh, until you had seven different properties. Uh, again, for anyone who's looking for the get-rich-quick scheme, this is definitely not the route you want to go. It, it, not at all. And it, it, takes, it, it takes patience. It takes uh, a lot. It does take a lot of money. I mean, it really does take a lot of money. If you don't have the money, you've got to roll up your sleeves, and you've got to be willing to tackle those weekend projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everybody wants to own 125 rental units. However you want to own two or three of them, that's great. And that's something that usually most people can manage. Sure. I do find that once they start having kids, then they have competing interests, which uh, which are the kids or painting the deck of the right. rental property. So, so that's difficult on weekends for a lot of people, I've heard. So that kind of ties into where I wanted to take this next, which is one of the biggest questions that people do have about owning rental properties is, do I need to be handy? I mean, it's, that's the first thing that came to my mind because I am not, unfortunately. And you know me well enough, Corey. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> that is like strapping on the tool belt. and uh... I, I can barely change a light bulb. It is, it's, it's, it's pathetic. So you were able to overcome that, though, because it, it would certainly be a benefit if you're handy. It, it is certainly a benefit. The, the, the handier you are, the more money you're going to save. However, uh, we also have to figure out what it is that is the best use of our time. The best use of my time is not trying to figure out how to cut tile. Sure. Early on when I tried to do that, I very quickly learned that 
I had no aptitude. I would spend an entire day trying to saw a plank, a, a plank, a, a piece of wood, right. and it would it would cost me enormous sums of money because I would have to keep going back to buy it, and a waste of time. I soon found that I was spending a little bit more money and saving lots of time. And the time that I was saving, I was instead going out and I was selling real estate. So everybody needs to figure out and realize what is the best use of your time. The best use of my time was going out and selling real estate on a Saturday or a Sunday so that I could actually pay for the the repair work. That's another interesting segue. You never want to make a cheap or inexpensive repair. You always want to make the best repair. There are a lot of people who will uh, they're, they're duct tape warriors. They right, just, yeah. They <laughs> duct tape everything. And you don't want to do that. You you want to do the repair work correctly. You want to use the best materials you possibly can. As a result of doing that, you're going to uh, find better tenants, better quality tenants. You're going to be able to rent the property for more money. And ultimately, when you do go to sell 15, 20 years down the road, 25 years, you'll be able to sell it for more money. So so spending money on good quality repairs really does pay for itself. Which in life, typically, that's a great rule, right? You think you're saving in the moment, but in the long run, you're, you're not. If you go with the, the right way the very first time, it might cost more in that moment, but... Right. You're obviously going to be saved from uh, some more spending down the line. We, we, we yeah. see a lot of people as they just purchase their first home and they start to furnish it. And they I've seen so many people, they end up spending $76 on a coffee table. I just bought it just because I know that three months from now or six months from now, I'm going to buy the right coffee table. 10 years down the road, that $76 coffee table is still sitting right. there because people never get around to replacing. Sure. That makes sense. Um, so similar to relying on maybe others for the, the handiwork, if you are uh, like Mark and I and, and just, it's not your thing, uh, at what level does a property manager come into play? Because there's certainly a lot of other headaches that can come into play when you own these properties mainly dealing with those people that are renting from you. I, I'm, I'm really glad you, that you brought, brought that up because it. I think that it was probably about the time that I had secured my sixth rental property that I realized I needed some help. Maybe it was six or seven, somewhere in there. I needed some help. And so I started to rely on somebody I would hire part-time to help show the, uh, the rental properties, to manage leases, uh, to manage collection of rent, that kind of thing. And so now at this point in time, we've got Adrian, who's just the most, I'm not even mentioning his last name because I don't want anybody going after this guy. Uh, but, <laughs> it's but, not even his real first name. It's fake. It's his fake name. Don't even look. Um, actually, do you know how it is? Do you know what happened when I acquired Adrian as a... As a no. I was... I think I was in the Galapagos or something, and we pull into port. I can't. You're probably going to edit this out, or I may beg for you to edit this out afterwards. Well, we've gone this far. Yeah. All right. Here we go. <laughs> so I pull into the, some port in the middle of the Pacific, and I've got one bar of reception. Oh no. And I find out that my property manager, who had been working for me for six months or some such thing, had actually run somebody over in his <gasps> car, drove off, oh, and I was Lord. suddenly oh. without. Yeah, it's it, ugly. I've got. I'm old. I've got some ugly stories. Uh, I I ended up getting Adrian, who within two months he said, "So I've increased your monthly, your annual rental income by about thirty thousand dollars." Immediately, just proved himself to be, and he's been with me for a long while, and he's he's incredible. So we've got him and. We also have, at this point in time, two full-time maintenance uh, guys, and they're, they're great also. Robert, in particular, is just incredible. Again, that's a little further on down the road. Right. 
was it manageable with the first couple of properties just to do it on your own? I know you said it, it went to you know six before you decided a property manager was necessary. It, it, it was it was manageable, okay. but I didn't I didn't have kids. I don't have kids. I didn't have kids. Sure. So I could do these things on the weekend, but it does. I, I would imagine that you probably don't need a property manager early on. But you do definitely need to have some people you can rely on to help um, uh, with repairs. Mm-hmm. I, again, the biggest thing I think you can take away from this is is the patience that is required. And and I wanted to ask about this. The you know if, again, if you go a little too fast, you could find yourself walking this financial tightrope of sure I own all these properties, but if I don't have people renting these properties, you know you could find yourself in trouble fast. Very fast. You need to. It's an interesting, everybody has to figure out what works best for them. One of the formulas that's worked really well for me is that I will amortize these properties 10 to 15 years. And not, I, I don't have cash flow. More so, I actually lose money every single month. And so I'm pouring money into each of these rental properties to pay, the, pay down the debt, but I'm doing so because it's forced savings. Right. And I know that after 10 years or after 15 years, the property will be paid off. Most people don't want to go down that road. Most people are probably better off uh, early on, getting a 30-year mortgage. But my, my my suggestion is, after you have succeeded in your career, you've gotten a few pay raises, let's call it five years down the road, you you have better ability to actually um, afford to own these properties, then you can refinance uh, from a 30-year mortgage down to a 20-year mortgage okay. in order to pay those off more quickly, or 15 years. So that, that's, that's I, I love doing that. Does it kind of become like a monopoly a little bit? <laughs> there, yeah, yes. It, it, <laughs> Yes. No, no, just yes. Well, especially early on, you you see a property and you fall in love with the aesthetics of the property or the notion that, wow, wouldn't it be great if, after the passing of time and and some maturity, it really becomes a matter of, does this make sense financially? Sure, okay. But uh, but there are are definitely, I've got a lot of friends out there who just love deals. Uh, they're called deal junkies. Okay, <laughs> um, and so um, so there, there are def- there is definitely that. And, but I, I love it. I, lo- I love the game. I love more than anything securing my future, sure. knowing that I am going to retire in ten or twelve years, whatever it may be, with a very very nice portfolio of rental properties that are fully paid for. So anything else that comes to mind for anyone who's thinking about getting into this and taking that first step, other than just do it, just do it. But I think. We didn't talk about, and this is not a pitch for somebody to pick up the phone and call us. Yes, that's great. Terrific. Whether you use us or not, you you need to work with an agent. Not only do you need to work with an agent to help secure the property and identify the property, but you really do need... It's like like the the medical uh, analogy is, I think, apt. When you are pregnant, you don't go to a general practitioner. You don't go to a cardiologist. You go to an OBGYN. Um, in real estate, if you're looking to purchase rental property, you want to find real estate agents who have experience so they can talk to you a little bit about cash flow. They can talk to you about leases. And we make ourselves available to help our clients after they purchase rental property. So the phone rings with frequency every month. Uh, we've got old clients who are looking for us to pull credit reports. So, th- and that's a, that's a whole nother. That's that's an entire hours worth of conversation right there. How to screen tenants? Yeah, that's so so that your tenant doesn't 
pull a steak knife and yeah, embed yes, it in the sure. test of beer. You don't want that to happen. Don't learn the hard way. So, so we so we love helping our clients. We love talking to them. We love supplying them leases. We love uh, walking them through why a particular clause in a lease is important and another isn't, and then pulling those credit reports for them every month. I mean, yes, we do. We only charge them you know, twenty dollars or so that it costs us. But when when you've got you know. 15 people every single month who are looking for credit reports to 20 people. It starts to add up. So, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, interesting. We, you know, since you bring that up, maybe that's what we do next week on the, on the podcast. Um, talking a little bit about screening tenants? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll a little part two to uh, the real estate investment. Yeah, and can we, can we make sure, let, let's remember to talk about comfort iguanas or comfort llamas or it, it, that whole issue has gotten out of oh, the, the, yes. this whole notion yes. of I have a letter here from my therapist that says that I need a comfort animal mm-hmm. and that's that's an interesting phenomenon also so what's um, the what's the craziest one you've you've seen so far or at least someone tried to say yeah I, I definitely need my uh, comfort uh, it, it, it was a lizard of honestly and, and, and inevitably, you say, well, oh, great, show us the documentation. And inevitably, it's some company, I believe that a lot of them are out of um, Utah. You pay $35, you get a document stating, I hereby certify that Susie needs a comfort animal or a comfort iguana. Okay. And, um, and, wow. and Yeah, and they, they try. It's, it's, it's very sad because there are people who clearly and absolutely need comfort sure. animals. Uh, but it makes a, a mockery of the entire thing. It, yeah. It's it's disrespectful toward those who genuinely and it makes landlords drives us crazy. Oh, I so. can't imagine. All right. Well, um, before we uh, we do that, of course, if you want to learn more about the team, if you want to maybe ask us some questions, if you're looking to buy or sell, you can always visit markseewick.com. As always, M-A-R-K-S-I-W-I-E-C.com. We have uh, listings up there. Some more listings coming up, uh, looks like, over this, the next this week, week or so. Yeah. It, it's, it, we've, Crandall has listings this week. Josh has listings this week. Uh, uh, Cam's got a couple of yeah. new listings. So, yeah, a lot, lot, of, lot of interesting properties out there. So go take a peek on that. And, again, you can find out more about the team uh, as well. But and what about you? How do we reach you? Uh, you can reach out to me at 607-341-1230 or just Corey at MarkSewick.com. That's Corey, C-O-R-E-Y. The correct way to spell it. There we go. Obviously. So there we have it. All right. So next week for the podcast, we'll dive in a little more when it comes to uh, to being a landlord and screening your tenants, what you need to know. And I'm sure Mark will have some more stories. Hopefully no more uh, knives are involved in them. But uh, I'm going to turn to the team because especially Mark Randall, yeah. he has this institutional memory. He remembers everything. And he he's always got great stories. So I, I will turn to him and I'll come back with uh, yeah uh, something interesting. How's that? Sounds good. All right. That'll be next week on Open House with Mark Seawick and Corey James Moran. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.